Hello, I'm Dylan. And I'm Keon. And this is Zenith, that podcast that looks good from far away because this week we watched Power. Written by Ben Steed. Directed by Mary Ridge. And aired on October 5th, 1981. Yeah, I would have known this was written by Ben Steed even if I had, you know, hadn't looked it up or just paid attention paid to attention the title to sequence. The title sequence, exactly. Well, I watched the title sequence and the instance said uh, Power. I was like, okay, by Ben Steed. <laughs> this, is, this was my immediate reaction. And I put my head in my hands. Well, I mean, like, there, I, I don't get, like, that reaction necessarily. Maybe after watching this episode, sure, but, like, both Moloch and Harvest of Kairos have had, you know, the, the misogynistic undertones, right? But they one, they, like, those were good stories, in my opinion. They right. were decent. I think I put my head in my hands because I knew that. This one was going to, like, overplay it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to, near the end of this episode, I'm going to suggest that this episode maybe isn't as misogynistic as you and probably a lot of people think. Although there's definitely, like, the, the you know, misogyny in it of, the, of certain characters. I mean, this and is even, by it, far the most misogynistic episode of Blake 7. Yeah, for sure. And I think of television in general that I've watched, anyway. Well, The key qualifier there being that I've watched, obviously. Right. right. And it's interesting... We'll get into this later. That it actually paints some of the main characters like Avon in a really yeah, weird light. That was like one of the things that was really weird to me was how Avon, yeah, well, behaved or yeah. like just yeah. things Avon says and does. <laughs> what really weirded me out too is that like Paul Darrow was just, just okay with this. Anyway, I mean, you gotta do what you gotta do, right? I guess. The story begins. Before we get into that, Doctor Who wise, we're still <laughs> airing after series, uh, what was it? 18 before 19. Right. Anyway, and the story begins. Begins soon after. God, I can't rescue. remember. Rescue. Soon after, God. but it seems like another couple of hours have passed. Right. Uh, much the same way that Rescue seemed like a couple hours after Terminal. Yeah, and I'm wondering, is Blake 7 Series D going to sort of lose the serialized nature of the show? I'm not sure. Possibly. That'll be a question that'll really be answered next week, I think. Right. I think yeah. the serial nature is still there. I think maybe it's just a little not as strongly... The episodes are not as strongly linked as before. You mean more strongly linked? Sorry, yes, more strongly linked. Well, now that I now that we bring that up, Series C actually did the same thing for the first two episodes: aftermath and power play. Huh? Huh? Yeah, that's, that's weird. That's weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're anyway. both pretty heavily linked, or they both they one followed you know right after the other. Mm-hmm. Well, so anyway, Avon's like out. Who doing? Who knows what? Doing really? <laughs> he's kind of he's kind of doing the thing that he did in Terminal again, where he doesn't tell anyone what he's doing, and he tells the computers all to lie for him. And then at the end of the episode, he's like, "Ha ha! I had it all planned out all along." But his, his plan in this is actually a lot more flimsy than than it was in Terminal, <laughs> right? I mean, Terminal it was flimsy because it was based on a rumor, right? But he at least he had this idea in mind, like, "All right, I'm going to go get Blake. We're going to be fine." Here, it's just like. Did he know about the underground civilization? Did he know, like, what was his what was his goal here? <laughs> his plan is a lot more flimsy in this episode. It also works out way better than it did in Terminal. Yvonne also, 
we'll get into this, but like, what does he actually do other than run around and get manipulated, right? He comes in and saves the day. Other than like grabbing what's her name's wrist repeatedly. Well, you know what he reminds what it reminds me of is the seventh doctor. <laughs> Like just running around the whole thing and then the very final like 10 minutes of the final episode he's like I had this all planned out I had this master plan and you've all fallen right into my trap and now you're gonna die and I'm gonna win so <laughs> that's what Avon reminds me of in this story is that he just runs around the whole episode and at the end he's like surprise you all fell right into my trap right and you're kind of left wondering is like was this really all your plan or was it all just a massive coincidence for you I think it was his plan. I think it was his plan. Telling or, like or telling Orek to lie about the key code, which we'll get to in a second, like pretty clearly indicates yeah, a lot of this was his plan. No, yeah, you're right. And but you also have to wonder: were there moments in this plan where internally he was like, "Oh shit, oh shit, oh shit," and then things just worked out, you know? Well, if he is, you never see it on his face. He remains remarkably cool, calm, and collected the whole story. Right, last week when we had John on, he was talking about how Avon gets is, gets more unhinged as, as Series D goes on. And yeah, we're really beginning to see that. Again, really reminds you of the seventh Doctor who got real <laughs> unhinged in like his final season. Basically tortured Ace for four <laughs> stories in a row. Anyway. He's like, Orak, I need to teleport. And then Orak's like, Why? The teleport's not working. And then Avon gets knocked out, and then Dana's like, hey, Orak, what happened to Avon? He's like, oh, he asked for a teleport, and Dana's like, that's weird, the teleport's not working. And Terrence's like, yep, teleport's not working. Right, we see these sort of, this sort of group. They um, changed outfits, so this is at least a couple hours off the rescue. Yeah, I actually wanted to talk about the outfits. I really like these outfits. I think these are some of my favorite that the show has offered. Yeah, I really like all of them, except for Avon's, which is the same as last week, and he didn't yeah. change at all. I mean, I, Although he got some bitchin' boots this week, not gonna lie. <laughs> I mean, but what's not to love about the studded leather outfit? This is true. But, like, the other ones are, I think, really good. Like, noticeably good. And I'm, I, I typically don't even notice outfits that much. They're, yeah, they're really good. Every character has their own. They're all kind of... Based on the same theme, I think they're all like gray with base, but with different accent colors, and they've all got their own colors. Uh, Terrence is kind of like a teal color. Uh, Villa's got sort of like a goldy brown color, and then uh, Dana's got like a red color. But this is actually interesting. You know, all these outfits are very distinct, and you think back to Series A, you know, the color-coded jumpsuits, and this is something we just briefly touched on last week, actually, but Blake 7 almost in that Doctor Who sense, is almost unrecognizable from Series A. Mm-hmm. You know, at least at this beginning part of Series D, you think, you look at this and it's like, is this really the same show? Yeah, you hold this next to, like, the way back, and you're like, this is the same thing. I mean, it's the same thing as Doctor Who, like... But it was a gradual change, I think. Yeah, but, like, you know, Doctor Who did that too, Star Trek. Yeah. Every show, I think, goes through, like, gradual change like that. Star Trek Enterprise, you hold up an episode of Season 4 up to Episode you know, like one of season one, you're like, is this even the same show? I think in general shows, shows, I'm going to try to word this really carefully. In general shows made by people who like actually care about making a quality product will tend to get better or at least more streamlined over the course of production. In general, of course there are always outliers and there are always exceptions. Okay. That's like your opinion, man. Yeah. 
didn't say it wasn't my opinion. Yeah, yeah, no. So Avon's been knocked out, and they're like, Orek, why is this communication based at all working? Or it's like, probably got crushed by someone. Yeah, and he's taken in by this sort of group that looks almost like, and really, when you find out what they are, almost sort of is a cross between, like, I don't know, maybe that group from The Keeper. And, yeah. And I don't know, I was getting some... Um, some vibes. What was that Series A episode where Avon like had to launch the rocket and he was revered as a god? Oh, oh! Second to last episode of Series A. Uh, I was getting some of those type of vibes, you know. It's just the one before Orac. Yeah. Deliverance. Right, Deliverance. How could I forget <laughs> Deliverance? But yeah, he's brought in by the Homics. Yeah, the Homics. Suitably Terry Nation name. Doesn't really mean anything. And. Really suitably Terry Nation because Terry typical Terry Nation name is, is like the the God now I'm forgetting what those creatures were called from Orac the web I don't know, I forget I don't what know. they're called there was the, there was something like the fish men or something like that <laughs> <laughs> you know something to that effect oh the Phibians right that Not was the, the yeah. <laughs> oh yeah like amphibians yeah Phibians yep. Yeah, okay, you know what? Fair. Or like the links who are like the, the link between humans now and what they're going to be in the future. You know? Spatials as a distance as well. Another suitably Terry Nation thing. Okay, fine. The Homics. We meet the, the leader, Gunsar, who reminds me of Fabio. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, sure. Now that you bring it up, maybe. Yeah. He's got long, flowing blonde hair, buff, really dull. And not that Fabio's dull. I don't know if Fabio's dull. Handlebar mustache? No, 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 no. And he's just kind of like, what's up? Welcome to our culture. This is my wife, Nina. He slaps her. Yeah, I mean, this is where you can see the sort of Ben Steed writing behind this story right is you know the first thing he does is sort of he he shoves uh, nina i guess was her name i didn't mm-hmm. know her name nina you know makes some remarks nina makes some really gender, questionable remarks later on that i'm gonna get to that are like the main reason why i was like wow this is really misogynistic yeah i think the characters especially gunsar in this are extremely misogynistic i just didn't i'm not 100 percent sure the overall like message i guess you could say is misogynistic and in fact i i think it might be the opposite i don't what's the opposite of misogyny miss 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 misandry misandry yeah i don't know well i'm gonna get to what nina says later because it makes more sense in context sure yeah it makes more sense to bring it up in context it doesn't sure. what she says doesn't really <laughs> make sense but but gunsar is is you know the, the leader here and he's having sort of a dilemma between what his advisor says he did and what he thinks he did. Because he thinks he's killed 27, six. six people. But his advisor's like, no, it's 25 and one is missing. And Gunsar's like, I threw the guy off a cliff into a bottomless chasm. You can't <laughs> say he's missing. He's dead. Which is not true. If you don't see the body, he's not dead. <laughs> Should have had that guy show up at the end and be like, I'm back, Gunsar. Back to reclaim my throne. Like the Terminator. <laughs> This is why I was kind of getting, you know, the keeper vibes with the the duel and, mm-hmm. and you know this this sort of guy. Well, this who's culture in is like really sort of 
seems to be based on the same thing that the culture in the keeper was like right the, not necessarily the vikings but like the goths yeah or like this thing yeah culture which is like, and, Th- and Gunsar is really almost like, um, what's his face? The leader from that episode, right? He's like this guy who's in charge, but he's really like this childish person, you know? Gunsar needs like people to tell him what to say because he, he he doesn't know how to say it. Like when they get to the duel, he's he's got to say some sort of long speech and he doesn't remember how to say it. But before we get to the duel, we get the trio, Tarrant, Dana, and Villa. They're trying to get through this door and then... They're still trying. Yeah, they're, this is the same door they were trying to get to, get through last episode, which is you know the door to the only way they can get to the Scorpio. And yeah, it's it's interesting actually. This episode they refer to Scorpio as Scorpio, not the Scorpio, which is something we brought up with the Liberator. You know, a lot of times they refer to it as the Liberator, but there was a moment where someone referred to it as like Liberator, right. And, you know, it's yeah, interesting. Like halfway through series A, they just sort of switched on us and they kind of flip flopped back and forth. But in this episode, they pretty much all just refer to it as like Scorpio. Oh, we got to get to Scorpio. Not like we got to get to the Scorpio. It's we right. got to get to Scorpio. Right. Almost as if it's another character in the story. Yeah. Uh, which, in, I mean, I'd say in this story, it kind of is almost a character, not like a walking, talking character, but like a character in the sense that, you know, that's what they're trying to rescue is Scorpio. <laughs> Well, there's also Slave, right? This sort of... He's he's maybe not as integrated with Scorpio as Zen was with the Liberator, but is somehow right. like the voice of the ship or something. Well, so... Who, does does Peter Tuddenham voice Slave? Yeah. Mm-hmm. As far as I know, yeah. We can check the... That's really interesting, because... The credits. Did, did Slave have kind of an Australian accent to you? Uh, he, a little bit? I felt like he kind of did to me. And I don't know, because... Cause, and I was thinking about this because the word slave is actually related to the, to the word, like, to, to Slav, right? Like the mm-hmm. Slavic people because in ancient times, you know, Greeks and actually a lot of people would take, would, you know, uh, enslave people, you know, Slavic mm-hmm. people. And that's where we get the word slave from. And it's really interesting to me that, like, this computer name slave would be, like, foreign among them. Yeah. Especially, and then you get to American slavery, which, you know, the, the entire history of, of enslaving mm-hmm. African people right. and bringing them to the Americas. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just, slavery has always seemed to have been linked, always seems to be linked to foreigners, foreigners and taking people from one place to another. Yeah. It's pretty rare for people to enslave their own. Right peoples i guess yeah not to say it hasn't been done but it's just rarer than enslaving a foreign people right and i don't know maybe it's just maybe it was just me getting that australian vibe maybe just me not knowing anything about accents (laughs) i mean there's definitely an accent of some sort peter tannenham is definitely trying to differentiate slave from Zen, uh, zen zen i think and orac Anyway, Orak reveals that there's like a nuclear compression charge in the door, and if they open the door, it'll go off. Dorian apparently used to disable it every 48 hours. Actually, I think uh, Orak doesn't reveal this. It's uh, it's, uh, it's Pella. Pe- Pella. Pella. Reveals, Pella kind of beams in, tells uh, Villa that there's this <laughs> nuclear compression charge that Dorian used to reset every 48 hours, 
and then she leaves. <laughs> and then Tarrant and Dana are so skeptical of this. They think Villa's just been drinking or that he's like hallucinating. Yeah, they think he's lying. on the foots or something. <laughs> he had like a bruise, but then he's like, oh, the bruise is gone. Maybe I am having like mind sickness. I don't know what they call it, mind fraying or something. Yeah, there was a specific term for it. But then they turn on the security cameras and they see the Seska outside. And they're like, oh, I guess I guess Villa was telling the truth. I really disliked that about this episode. I really dislike, I don't know, I just have like this pet peeve of like in stories when people find stuff out based on security camera footage. And they do it like three times in this story. I was like, really, was this the best way to do it, Ben? <laughs> ben, come on, man. But this is Ben's final story for the show. Thankfully. This is the first Ben Steed story that doesn't have like a crappy puppet. Wow. Maybe, fun, maybe, fun facts. Maybe Nina was the crappy puppet of Gunsar, you know. But I don't like and I didn't maybe I shouldn't have liked this that as much as I did, but I really liked the the Dana Tarrant Villa dynamic without Avon. <laughs> oh, this is really funny moment later that I'm gonna bring up again where like Dana's like really shocked about killing Gunsar and Tarrant just grabs her by the shoulders and turns her and says, <laughs> yeah. don't even say anything, just walk away. Just walk away, Dana. And they just but walk away. Dana is always, that was also weird to me because Dana has always been so ruthless. And you got to think, is there this underlying thing in this? Like, well, Dana's a woman, so of course she's shaken up about killing Gunsar. Of course she is. Yeah, I'm sure that's what it was. But I just love this moment where Tarrant just so, ca- <laughs> so, so casually just goes, don't even say anything, just turn and walk away. <laughs> And basically then we see... Avon it, engages Gunsar in a duel. Yeah, because he slaps Nina. That was the thing, is it? Because he slaps Nina, or when he slaps Nina, he engages him in a duel. Which, again, this calls into question something that Avon says later, like it doesn't really make sense, even within the context of the story, because he's he's engaging Gunsar in this duel because, he, or, or at least the duel is instigated by him slapping Nina. Wait, what wasn't it like? Eight, what? It's like the. It, wasn't it like Avon stops Gun Gunsar is about to hit Nina and Avon like stops. What was Gunsar does hit Nina? Yeah, I know he does, and then he's about to do it again, and like yeah, Avon and intervenes. then Avon like intervenes in some way and challenges him to a duel. Yeah, to stop him. Okay. And Avon asks for a phase the, pistol in the duel as his weapon. And they're like, no, that's not allowed. So he's like, well, I'll just take a glove then. I'm like, oh, man, is, is Avon's leather-studded glove going to be a weapon? <laughs> no. He just grabs a power cord out of this box sitting yeah, next to Yeah, he uses it to, like, punch through this sort of box. And this is there's a lot of, like, foreshadowing-y stuff. Not only, like, this moment of, like, how he wins the duel, but also there's this line from... Gunsar, when Avon's like, you know, our, my computer told me about these jewels that are here and whatever, and Gunsar's like, oh, you communicate with computers, like how, how yeah. silly of you and stuff like that, and you know that all comes together later on. Yeah, that was another thing is that they're all like shocked that Avon talks with the computers because Avon tells them that Orac was the one who, who, told them about the, the crystals, the crystals, and you got to wonder, being a Ben Steed story, is there something ecological going on here, right? Harvest of Kairos got very ecological in this. There's like, oh, you talk to computers, and then Gunsar is like, this is my land and stuff like that. And it doesn't really all pan out like in the way you might expect it would, but it's there, I guess, at the beginning. But this is also why I kind of, and and I'll detail this more a little bit later, but this, why I kind of find this a, a miss, what's the term, misandristic? Mis- misandrist. Misandrist episode is like, you think about 
you know, later on you find out men and women have been separated here and there's this war of the sexes, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the men turned into like idiots, right? They're just these barbaric, like just stupid dumbasses. And, and the women are like psychic doctors. But the men are winning. Yeah, the, the men thing. are winning. Yeah, there that's true. Th- that's two, also the thing. The two women left <laughs> yeah, is the other also, thing. That's also the thing. But like, I don't know. I feel like this story really goes to show you like, you know, separate men and women and the men are going to turn into like these stupid idiots who like maybe win, but like maybe that's not like but like a good, th- like maybe that's bad. I guess you know? this is when I should bring up what Nina says, but like what Nina says was the real thing that drove home how misogynistic this was because when, when Pella meets her later... Pella's like, oh, you used to be a Seska. What happened to you? And she's like, no, I'm a woman now. Right. That's like, something I wanted to bring up too. Kind of saying like, because she's married to Gunsar, because she serves Gunsar, that is like the realization of her purpose as a woman is right. what she's saying. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I don't know. If, I guess we can just talk about this now. Yeah, I noticed that too. I was, I sort of, I guess, honed in on like, all right, you know, men, maybe I'm just too optimistic about this episode, but- I sort of, I thought like, all right, you know, maybe, maybe in the logic of this episode, men and women like need each other, right? You know, you can't mm-hmm. just separate, you can't just have this, this war between them. You can't, they can't be at odds with each other to be a man or to be a woman. You need like, like you need each other. Yeah. But then, you know, it does, you're right. It does go a step further and like, all right, you know, <laughs> Nina gets to be quote, a woman because she's like subservient to Gunsar or whatever. So mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's pretty questionable. I do think, yeah, I mean, like, it's. I guess I'm defending this episode. There's definitely a, 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 a huge like slew of misogynistic stuff you can draw from this. Well, <laughs> you know, there's a lot more than just what Nina says, but like... <laughs> Even from like the Seska, they're talking about like, oh man, we're subservient to the to the men. We're gonna die. They're killing us all off. Like, and then and then you know there was this other thing, which we, we find out now because Avon gets knocked out after he quote unquote wins the duel. He destroys Gunsar's weapon with the the power cord, and he gets he gets locked up. And Pella actually gets locked up too. And she's like, oh, are you Avon? He's like, yeah. And she kind of says, like, oh, they're going to operate on us uh, so that we have kids. And then they keep all the male kids and they throw all the women out. And sometimes the Seska don't get to the the baby Just, girls yeah, right. in time before they die. It's like another thing, like, the female children are just discarded when they get born. Right. But, I mean, I don't, like, this is, I think, the last sort of line of defense I have for this episode. <laughs> You're convincing me. but <laughs> But, like... The 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 hummocks aren't like good people, right? Like they're not. Like if they were framed, if this was framed as like, yeah, these are the people we should be looking up to, and this is how we should be like the men being in charge and the women being subservient. Then like that would be another thing, but this that's not what this like is, right? I don't know. Maybe I'm just being too naive about this. <laughs> I mean, but the Seska aren't good people either, and in fact, you right. could argue yeah, that the not. Seska are worse than the Harmics because the Seska, you know, that's the thing is that... They're also smarter, like a lot smarter. <laughs> but again, they get defeated by Avon because he's just like, I knew what was going to happen all along. Like, I figured out your plan from the beginning. And like, now <laughs> when him and Pella escape the cell, she like, he's like, oh, I'll be taking that, like, crown. <laughs> I, I thought this was fun. Maybe this is... 
this isn't shouldn't be funny to like, but I thought this was funny. Like, there's something blocking the door, and they open, and it's a dead body. <laughs> They're like, "Who killed this dead body?" And Pell's like, "Don't worry about it. Just don't worry about it." <laughs> but then, like, they go to the room, and this is when Nina says the thing about how she's a woman now, right? And then they take this like uh, necklace. All the Seska have this sort of necklace on, which I think was implied to like boost their telepathic abilities. And sure. and Avon's like, I'll be taking that. And she's like, it doesn't belong to you. And he's like, well, technically it doesn't belong to you either, but let's not get semantic about it. And then she tries to use her telepathic abilities to defeat Avon. And he just defeats her. And then he says this line that just like so out of nowhere that he's like, you see, you see, uh, Pella, doesn't matter how strong you are. A man will always, a man will always be strong. Right. Just biologically. Just a biological true. fact. A biological fact. And it's like. I forget, what, I forget what Pella says in response to this. Is Nothing. I think she just says, okay. But it's like, uh, <laughs> that line is like, really? Especially with Avon uh, saying it. from Avon. There's like been no precedent for this. Pres- God, why can't I say that word? There's precedent. been no precedent for this like before. Yeah. Yeah. Especially since, like I said, with the whole... Gunsar slapping Nina thing and then Avon challenging Gunsar to a duel either because of that or immediately right after that, whatever that means, like within the story. What, what, what creates, do you mean? Well, it's like that that move, challenging Gunsar to a duel to like stop him from slapping Nina or intervening in him slapping Nina shows like in some ways that like Avon either cares about Nina as a person or if you want to be reductionist about it, cares about Nina as a woman, right? As Gunsar's wife. And then like, not 20 minutes later, he's like, men are just biologically superior. We'll always win. <laughs> and again, when we see Dana dueling Gunsar, takes three women to overpower Gunsar, whereas like Avon fights Gunsar to a draw yeah, alone. Sure. Yeah. So. Yeah. Hate to say it, but you're convincing me. <laughs> well so we see also Avon kisses Pella when he tells her that men will always win he kisses her right I have nothing to say about that Dana and Tarrant go looking for Avon and that's when they also find right they tell Villa to stay put but you know he, he doesn't Villa has some good lines in this episode I don't remember exactly what any of them really are, but I think Villa's dialogue was pretty good. Yeah, they have three hours till the palm goes off, and then Lance is going to take an hour to get through the door, and he's like, have you ever seen a nuclear compression charge go off? It's like a miniature black hole. It's really pretty. It's really good to look at from far away. <laughs> and then later on, when Pella shows up, he like says the line backwards, which I thought was really funny, because he says, like, have you ever seen a miniature black hole go off? It's like a nuclear compression charge. There's right. another line, too, where when Pella shows up, to talk to Villa and, and she's like, oh, that's really clever. And Villa's like, I know, I've been telling everyone I'm really clever. They even chose me at the academy to like lead the class or whatever he says. Right, so there is a little bit more of Villa's sort of backstory here. Yeah, the, like bringing back that thing about Villa, uh, just pretending to be an imbecile. Right. There's also another line from Villa that I thought was like really clever as well, where he says, oh, it's foolproof. <laughs> I like this as well. Because... Which I thought was funny because like Villa's the one trying to open the door and it's like it's it's foolproof, it's Villa proof. But was at the same time, Villa actually gets through the door, so it's like 
what's going on. But then also the, the next part of the line is that he says, oh, and before you say it, it's Avon Poof. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think Dana and Tarrant have already watched this footage of like the last or like the Seska bunker getting attacked. <laughs> yeah. Because this is so. also, you know, simultaneously or around this time, Avon finds the underground area as well. So Dana and Tarrant watch this video and they sort of find out that men and women have been pitted against each other. Mm-hmm. I don't think we ever actually figure out why they sort of, why this conflict started. We but don't, but matter. we do find out something interesting when Avon goes back to the the base, not Xenon base, the... Uh, the underground area, basically, the... the the, area, the homic space, the homic, the but, homic but, base. but they but the homics don't even really know it's there. It's sort of an underground. It's like a, a, a hidden room, yeah, with a computer, and, and it's like only one. I, we don't really get too much. Like only one guy knows about this or something, and he yeah, Gunsaw's advisor, right? But we we get some interesting lines here where he says like, "Oh, the previous war, like when it ended, it was decreed that all technology would be wiped out, would go back ten thousand years," and he was like really bitter about this, like ten thousand years of evolution wiped out, right? In and an instant, like, we, we went back to to stone tipped arrows, and you know we, we had to reinvent the wheel and stuff like that. It was and really like, yeah that. Line really reminded me of a, of a quote by Albert Einstein where he says, uh, you know, I, I don't know what world, paraphrasing of course, I don't know what World War Three will be fought with, but I know that World War Four will be fought with sticks and stones. Uh, you know, kind of saying that there'll be a war so devastating that we have to just go back to like ancient technology, which is kind of what happened here is, you know, we don't know anything about this war or, or why uh, the Seskas and the Harmics get pitted against each other. But what we do know is that after that devastating war, everybody was just set back 10,000 years technologically. Right. And they, but they do have this computer that they don't really use for much. So, Right. I mean, maybe they don't know how to use it. Maybe. Dana and, and Tarrant meet Gunsar, and Dana's like, I challenge you. And he's like, but you're, but you're, and she's like, yeah, a woman, deal with it. He's like, what? Well, I guess that's within the rules. Yeah, right. I guess that's okay. Yeah, Dana's pretty awesome in this episode. Well, right up until say. she gets choked out by guns, uh, <laughs> which happens like pretty much right now. Avon accidentally kills. I guess Pella. He doesn't kill the guy. Pella. Pella like psychically the, controls yeah. him to release yeah. the trick. He's holding like this crossbow type thing, and he shoots. And right away he realizes that Pella like control mind controlled him or whatever. Yeah, she's like, You killed him. He's like, No, I didn't. You did. And then she knocks out Avon in like a most hilarious and like cartoony way, which is like she freezes him and then psychically controls this I forget like thing, just a heavy object, I think, and just like drops it on his head. <laughs> but yeah, Dana's going up against Gunsar. Right. And Pella and uh, what was the other Seska's name. Was it Forget. like Anna? Or no, it couldn't was have like been, something really. Wouldn't have been Anna because of because. Oh, of, it was Kate. Oh, I, I, I was like, oh, it was like some like normal normal name. name, Kate. <laughs> God, yeah, that is you know it is more out of place when you're getting this like society that's removed from like where humans have gone. Like these mm-hmm. are humans most likely, but. Well, actually, yeah. I don't know. Well, we don't know, Yeah, actually. we don't know. We don't know. Yeah, it just feels out of place. That this well, so Dana defeats Gunsar with the help of Pella and Kate because they add some psychic power to 
they kind of. I think they Dana. just sort of. I think they just kind of throw Gunsar back, and he bashes his head on the power coupling, yeah. and he dies. And this is this is when the hilarious moment we did do it. Just goes, <laughs> don't say anything. Just walk away. Just keep walking. And Villa's there too. And he just turns around. They're just walking away. You have to wonder would they have made Dana their leader then, like, or they've been well, like, oh, it's not applicable because you're, <laughs> you're a, a woman. woman, or maybe they just find some other loophole. Yeah, but we don't know what they would have done. Which is fine. Yeah. I mean, the homics were, like, they're still uninteresting enough. They're still around like, on this planet, and I'm pretty sure they're going to come back to this planet because they kind of left Orac behind, so... Did they? I don't remember. Yep. Orac's operating the teleport from on Zenon base. It's probably going to be one of those things where they don't even mention it, and they just have him next episode. Now that they have teleport Well, I remember reading working. in one of the emails, I think, that they get, like, one of the emails we received that they get like a semi secure base in Xenon that huh. they come back to. Man, that's really uh disturbing. <laughs> in that like Blake Seven has always been these rogues on the run on the ship. I don't know if disturbing is the no, word I no. would use. Yeah, I mean it's not the word I would use if I could go back in time ten seconds either. <laughs> well you can with the magic of post production. <laughs> But now this is when we get this, like, Avon reveals all scene. Because they go back to the base and, and Pella's, like, open up the door. And Orax told them that the door code is, like, Narcissus, which I thought was an interesting choice. Uh, by Dorian initially, but then by Avon later. Yeah, maybe it was just Avon throwing him for a loop. Maybe it was Avon becoming more self-centered. The door doesn't open and they're like... Uh, 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 what's <laughs> happening? And then Avon comes in and he's like, I told Orak to lie about the code. And they're like, why would you do that? And he's like, well, I figured out everything that Orak figured out already too. And they're like, what? He's like, well, there's a there's a wheel on the other side of the door that would open it without triggering the charge. And Pella was trying to open it because she wanted to take Scorpio to get off the planet, but she didn't have the telepathic power to do so. So she was supposedly helping Dorian with a teleport, but it actually wasn't a teleport. It was a booster for a telepathic signal. She could, so she could open the wheel. But now that Dorian's dead, she can't do that anymore. And she only had 48 hours because the charge is going to go off. Everyone's like, good job, Avon. Wow. Nice explanation. Because I kind of, I mean, I like during the speech, I was just like, whatever, all right? Like, I just want to know the consequences of this. I'm like, I'm ready for this episode to be over because it wasn't that interesting. Well, maybe it was. And yeah, I mean, they just spent, to, to me, it felt like forever. They just spent so long detailing like what this, what Dorian's plan was. And now, you know, he's already dead and stuff. And I don't know. Whatever they, the, uh, Kate reveals that she isn't down with actually, this plan. What does she actually reveal other than that she just like pulls a gun on? That's Pella. Pella pulls a gun. Oh, sorry, Pella. She reveals that yeah, she wants Scorpio and that Avon was correct, and she's like, I'm gonna kill you, Avon. He's like, if you kill me, you'll never get the code to open that door. Oh, right, because they want to make it off the planet. Because Pella disables the compression charge in the door, which is why they can use the code to open the door, because if you remember initially, if they use the code to open the door, the charge will go off as well. Yeah. I mean, maybe I was just zoned out at this point, but, like, what was the freaking reason? God, this is so weird to me. What was the reasoning behind, like, she just I'm going to make off it off? Planet. I know, but, like, alone, she could have got off with, with all of them, or, like, just, or with her and Kate, you know? Like, there are better ways there to go about this. There wasn't an explanation as to why she... All right, maybe she's just unhinged. <laughs> It's revealed that her and maybe, Kate are the only two Seska remaining. Right. Maybe because Nina dies. Maybe there's some big like thematic connection to why she does this that we're just not getting. 
Actually, Nina doesn't die. Sorry, there was a third Seska with the two of them that gets killed by the Harmix, whose name doesn't matter. Well, Nina's not even a Seska anymore, right? She's, she's a, a woman. woman. <laughs> Kate gets killed because she's like, Pella, don't do this. And she just shoots Kate. And so yeah. Kate's dead. And then Avon lets Scorpio take off. And then he's like, all right, Orak, are we ready? And Orak's like, yep, we're ready. And then Avon's like, give her a couple seconds. <laughs> all right, teleport me up. And so the teleport effect was really cool. What in it my should have opinion. always been. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> this teleport effect was awesome. The original one is iconic after, you know, what, 39 episodes, but Yeah, but this, this is one, what it should have always th- this been. This is this is like really impressive what they do here. There's like this spinning kind of cylinder of of energy that surrounds them and then they kind of like disappear and then they reappear in the beam like right. on the ship. And it was awesome. Anyway, she just kills Pella and she's like, wow, violence is always the answer for you men. And then Avon says, like, if you didn't want the answer, you shouldn't have asked the question, which I'm like, I'm sure Ben C is like, oh, yeah, that's, that's a ring over line. But in my head, I was like, what does that even mean? What? I mean, it's it's like, I mean, it's 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 one of those lines that people point to as like, I don't agree with using this word ever in regards to any story ever, but it's one of those lines that people point to as like, all right, that's deep or whatever. But, deep. you know, you have to question, like, is this really deep and is deep something we we a word we should use when we're talking about a story yes. i say no no i say no i say, I say no 100 yes. i say um, yes if only because it makes you angry right <laughs> not angry per se i'm just all right whatever Irritated. Yeah, you do you do get the impression that like you picture ben steed like typing this out he's like oh yeah <laughs> i don't know what ben steed looks like I don't even um, know if Ben Steed typed this or hand wrote it. Be really impressed if he hand wrote this actually. But then anyway, Sulin shows up out of nowhere. Because <laughs> at the beginning they, of this episode, they're like Sulin's buggered off. We don't know where she is. Well, they had Avon had, or sorry, Villa had mentioned that he was scared of Sulin coming back and like shooting him, shooting him in the back or something like that. And they're like, Nah, Sulin's gone. What are the chances? Now she comes back and joins them. Well, yeah, because she's with Villa and she's like, I want to join your crew. And then Villa phones Scorpio and he's like, yo, what do we feel about an extra member? And Avon's, and they're all like, what are you talking about? And Avon's like, I suspect Sue Lin just showed up. <laughs> so they beam up and it ends with them just on the ship with Avon looking like wholly unconcerned that <laughs> Sue Lin pulls a gun on him. Yeah, so the crew is fully assembled. Yeah. Oh, and, and Orak reprogrammed Slave to listen to anybody on the flight deck. Right. And I, Slave says something like, I'm not equipped to offer an opinion. <laughs> and Avon's like, you might just be my kind of computer. And here's where Series D is really going to start, right? Like, these yeah. were, this was the setup. This was the prologue. This was the aftermath power play of Series D. Right. For sure. I guess we should talk about how this would be different if it was uh, written by Terry Nation, which I think this week is actually going to be quite a different discussion than last week because this actually felt surprisingly like a Terry Nation story to me. Yeah, it did. You know, it, it, it did feel very t- Terry Nation-esque with a touch of like Ben Steed. Dude's solid personal beliefs mixed in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, because that, that was what I was thinking is that if this was a Terry Nation story, because Terry Nation really, I think, in my opinion, like to do that like technology versus uh, primitivism. Well, Terry Na- and Terry Nation also 
and we'll get, I'll get into this more with mine, but he also liked to do, you know, the one sort of group that gets split up into two by whatever, whether right. it's like this battle of the sexes type thing or like one one group evolves rapidly and the other like digresses or something like that. Right. And that's what I was thinking the story like. I think if it were, you know, if it was written by Terry Nation, we would have had these two groups fighting off. I don't think it would have necessarily been split upon sex lines. Uh, I think that was something Ben Steed introduced so he could more easily Advance use it as a vehicle, like as his own personal kind of ideas. But I definitely think what would have been played up a lot, you know, if Terry Nation wrote this is, you know, we would have had this highly technological group, which would, would have been the Seskas, and we would have had this like primitive group, which would be the the Homics. I don't know if the Homics would necessarily have a computer in this case. I think that computer doesn't exist in the Homic camp in the Terry Nation version of power. Uh, and I think we kind of get this this interplay between these two vastly differing technological abilities wise groups of people that kind of Avon gets stuck in the middle I think if this was written by Terry Nation also like a bigger point to this episode would have been getting the teleporter working because as it stands it's just kind of like Avon's like hi I fixed the teleport off screen and it works now uh, but it seemed like when this episode started that like a big thing was going to be fixing the teleport so in my mind the way the story goes is that fixing the teleport is more the main issue rather than like getting off the planet or stopping Pella from getting off the planet or whatever it is and getting to Scorpio I think more of the thing is like oh they're trying to fix the teleport but they get kind of caught up between these two groups maybe Tarrant and Dana get captured by the Seska and Avon gets captured by the Harmix or something like that uh, but that's kind of how I think it would have gone yeah I mean that's you basically covered mine as well and I guess I, I should sort of I realize now I should sort of rethink how I approach these because I'm just pointing to like a single moment or a single mm-hmm. thing and saying like, all right, that might have been different, but you're going for a more holistic approach. Yeah, holistic. <laughs> as I read that word off a bag of dog food that's sitting right in front of me, described as healthy and holistic. Don't know what that means in that context, but hey. Anyway, you know, I, I, I sort of said like, yeah, this, mm-hmm. this wouldn't have been maybe a split along the lines of sex, right? but would have been... Something more Terry Nation-esque, like, you know, one group is really advanced or one group evolved more rapidly or something like that. Um, but yeah, start, next week I'll start doing a more, like, overarching, holistic thing. Of, of well, we're still trying be. to figure out how this, how this section goes. Yeah. No, but I think what you're doing is better. More interesting. <laughs> more interesting and easier to drag out extra time in the episode if we need extra not that we ever need extra time in these episodes because these no. episodes typically run pretty long because we end with email responses um, I'm interested to see at the end of the season if we look back on the Terry Nation version of Series D <laughs> and if it's any better than the actual version of Series D that we got Maybe. I read uh, right before we started recording that Terry Nation actually apparently tried to secure funding for a Series 5 after this uh, ended even though he wasn't really involved in series D, but wasn't able to huh. to secure the backers. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Other than that, I don't actually have much to say about this episode. I do think this is uh, one of the weakest episodes we've had in a while. Yeah, I would agree. You know, we we talked about a lot about the like misogyny and stuff in in this, so maybe we don't need to touch on that. Touch anymore. on that again. I think. I mean, you you've pretty much convinced me though i was ready to come in and defend this episode but you know maybe maybe not but i mean like even separated from the misogyny i think just yeah no plot I mean, wise i think this story's kind of weak yeah this is definitely in my like bottom five for sure like regardless of of you know the themes and stuff of this episode i just think it was 
pretty boring to watch in general. And also, like, you know, part of that might be we never get a reason why Pella wants to leave this planet. You know, we never find any motivation behind her. I mean, it's kind of a big twist that she's, like, the main villain, but it kind of falls flat on its face because there's, like, not really been an indication at any point in the episode that that was going to happen. We don't really find out why she does that. Like, yeah, and it just it feels a little contrived, I think I would say. And and that, yeah, might, go, that might actually go back to the, like, to Ben Steed writing and the, the whole, like, battle of the sexes type thing, right, is, like... There's this maybe logic underlying this. It's like, of course this would happen. Like, of course men and women would would mm-hmm. be at odds with each other or whatever. I mean, I think you a know? battle of the sexes can be done right. It's just that in this story, like, it, it doesn't serve as, like, a vehicle for the mm-hmm. plot. There's, like, no reason why they're separated upon sex lines. Like, if they could have thrown in a line, you know, when they when Avon learns that they've been forced back technologically 10,000 years, if they had thrown in some sort of explanation about yeah, why then they got sure. separated along sex lines if if that like separation had to do with maybe if they because you know for sure it sorry to cut in no, for good. sure for sure it you know the 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 battle of the sexes i guess we're calling it isn't related to the the technological right thing because the homics discarded all of their technology after the sidori the war. and started yeah but it could have been interesting if they somehow like linked this. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how that would have been done or what it, if it would have been better, but you know, maybe. Yeah. Something. It sounds like what we're both saying, I think, is that this episode falls apart is because a lot of it is just really disconnected. Like Pello becoming the villain is just like there. Like yeah. the battle of the sexes is just there. Like none of these concepts are actually linked into the plot of the episode, which seems which... the plot of the episode seems to be Avon trying to escape the homics, but like when you really get down to it, like what is actually the main plot <laughs> for the Liber- or the Scorpio crew? I guess now in this episode, Just trying to get through the door, trying to disable the compression, the nuclear compression bomb. Yeah. But and like, what are, what are the what are the goals in this episode? I mean, right? Now that you bring that up, that's actually really interesting because if you look back at Harvest of Kairos and Moloch, the other Ben Steed episodes. Those were like very, at least I thought, like thematically very interesting episodes. I agree. And especially Harvest of Kairos with its mm-hmm. ecological nonsense. Not nonsense, right. ecological stuff. Yeah, just like its ideas. Yeah. And this one, not so much. I will say there's one thing I wanted to mention is that Blake 7, and I'm I've, this is something that's been in my mind for a while, but I guess I'm only just now like articulating it, is Blake 7 is a show that like, where everything can just end in disaster, right? Like not everything has to be wrapped up at the end of every episode. They can kind of just leave... And you look at especially episodes like The Web, you know, they kind of just leave with like... And Terminal. Well, yeah, and Terminal where it's like, well, we didn't really solve anything. We just made everything worse in a way. And now we're Dawn just going to leave. Gods too. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a thread through a lot of episodes. Yeah, where it just kind of ends and they're like, well, we didn't really win or anything. You know, there was that other episode, I'm forgetting the name now, where they're like, you know, did we win or... Or did we lose? Oh, it was uh, it was the one with Terrence. Was it the one with Terrence's brother where they're like, oh, did we actually win here? And they're like, well, Serverland didn't win, so I'd consider that a no, win. No, it was Volcano, right? Where they're so. like, whose win is this really? Yeah, that's like, what it was. Yeah. Volcano because they, you know, they blow up the planet. They're like, well, who actually yeah. won here? Right. And, you know, that's something interesting that I'm curious to see if they'll carry through Series D. I feel like Series D so. is like the really optimal place to put that because if you think about it, the Scorpio crew is like, Compared to where they were with the Liberator, they're, like, really down in the dumps now. Yeah. 
Like this would be the place where you could really draw out the like see like dystopian aspect that right. we've never really like has been touched upon, but has never been like the forefront of the show. Right. And uh, you know, on that note, I'm I'm kind of out of things to say about power. Yeah, same here. I do want to note that uh, that the name of our podcast fits in really well with the names of series D episodes because they're all one word that most episode titles are across all series. Actually, so what is what the, what which which brings up i guess one final thing that i just want to bring up is what the hell is power referencing in this story <laughs> uh, that's a good point uh, uh, it could be so many things actually like i'm all for the ambiguous title i'm all for the ambiguous parts of stories right i love the end of rescue the ambiguous end of rescue but like this is just this is a little too far right like this could be anything <laughs> it could be everything <laughs> So we have a few emails to respond to this week. Uh, one from RG, and then we have also one from a new correspondent whose name I know I will completely butcher. <laughs> I mean, we'll try it, right? I mean, I'll yeah. try it, but I'm probably going to butcher we, I mean it. You. <laughs> and we also have a couple of comments on the website to respond to, one from St. Linton and one from uh, another correspondent. So... Uh, these responses may be a little shorter than normal just because we have quite a few of them to get through, but rest assured we will respond to all of these uh, to just buckle up. Here we go. We'll start with the one from RG because I believe it arrived first, and then we'll go from there. So, hi, Zenith Homics. You can no longer see whether Avon holds his gun like a six-shooter because it pretty much is a six-shooter. <laughs> ben Steed wrote this episode. It's pretty much sexism, ahoy. If you're going to set up a battleground, you obviously choose the muddiest place on your planet. Avon's back to kissing woman for no apparent reason. Will Sulin escape his lips? Place your bets now. Karate chops yep. really date Blake That's my seven. bet is yes. They were very common in TV shows at the time, but they look quite silly now. The choice to make Sulin a gunslinger is a poor one, I think. Dana already fills that role. She could have been made a super mechanic like Kaylee on Firefly or Happy on Scorpion. Then she would be able to both disable Federation ships and upgrade the Scorpio. Her gun draw at the end does look cool, though. It's a good thing that she speaks in a posh accent, as almost everyone on the show has so far. No planets on Blake 7 must have a north. That's all for me. This Seska is down and safe. RG. Yeah. Uh, I think we we railed into the sexism quite a bit, or at least I did, anyway. I think Sulin won't escape Avon's lips. That's my bet. I'm going to bet that he kisses her, like, halfway through the season for absolutely no reason at all. After her... her uh her dialogue stops being, you know, Callie's, but transplanted onto Sulin. Well, maybe not. Maybe or maybe not. that's why maybe, he'll kiss her, because yeah, she's just Callie's why. replacement. Karate chops are actually rather common in TV now. They're, like, making a resurgence, weirdly enough. Yeah, and, and Blake 7, you know, now, when so, now in, in modern, you know, shows and movies, punches and chops are always accompanied by, like, a, a very apparent sound, like... Yeah. or something like that but in, in a lot of the in a lot of old older shows um they're not it's all it's often like really jarring to just hear someone or sorry See not someone. hear someone get punched yeah even though that's like really what it would be i agree with that 100 percent. i think we also we kind of railed into the choice to make stool and a gunslinger as i did on our episode on rescue with john because it does it does feel very similar to dana although i think that with time, when they nail Sulin's role down, they will give her a more unique role than Dana. As they did with Dana and Dana. Yeah, as they did with you know, Dana. You know, when they showed up, we were like, who are these people? And why should we care? 
<laughs> and I think that pretty much covers that email. So thank you very much for emailing us, RG. Let's check out our next email from... He just signs it a Dutch Blake 7 fan. So actually, I'm just going to stick to that. Right, his name is not actually in his the His name is not body. actually in the email, so I'm not going to share it. Hi, love your Zenith podcasts. Initially, I didn't listen to them in order, but now I plan to. Unicode smiley face. You might have read this on Twitter already, and then he gives his uh, Twitter handle, Sandin underscore Jürgen. I'm very fond of Dana, but like all the other characters on B7, she's not without flaws. In Rescue, her recklessness gets her and her crewmates into trouble. Although she's proven herself to be brave, her reaction to Dorian's cave monster shows that she's not invulnerable to fear. In my opinion, the character still comes across as strong. Because of her sheltered upbringing, she could be naive. Also, God knows what the creature was giving off in terms of vibes all the time she was down there, completely unarmed. Signed, a, a Dutch Blake 7 fan. Well, thank yeah. you first for your praise at the beginning of your email. Yeah, thank you. I'm sure. glad you like the, uh, the show. And also, thank you for emailing us. We always love to hear from from all of our listeners, really. I think you're the first non-English, uh, first language Blake 7, or just fan in general to email us. Yeah. Non, uh, fan from Dutch, a non-English-speaking so like, uh, country. Yeah, uh, a fan who's not from like England, Australia, or America, basically is what I'm trying to say here, I think. Right. I agree that Dana is pretty reckless, actually quite a lot, I think, <laughs> especially in Rescue. Yeah, you bring up her, her, her sheltered upbringing, and, and that's like, I never thought about that before, but yeah, she her her upbringing must have been pretty sheltered, just living with Hal, and um, uh, what was her name again? Oh, shoot. Uh, her sister. Uh, gosh, I forgot. I don't remember. Even something with L. Too. Uh, Lauren, something like was that. Was it Lauren? Something like that. I don't remember. But yeah, she definitely had a sheltered upbringing. But at the same time, I feel like her upbringing, while it was sheltered, did feature a lot of like combat, weapons, weapons yeah. training, safety training, things like that. So in that aspect, I don't think that necessarily explains like why she's so res- uh, reckless in, in rescue. Because, you know, in rescue, she just walks off to go save Villa. When I feel like even though her upbringing was sheltered i feel like that was one of the few things that hal would teach her especially since they lived on a planet inhabited by people hostile to them well you would evidenced by the fact that you know her sister gets killed by this yeah people so you you know you would think but people are weird people do weird things (laughs) for strange reasons again thank you for emailing us though i think you bring up a lot of good points Sheltered upbringing is definitely something that we've never touched on on the show before. So I think it's uh, thank you very much for actually bringing it up yeah. for us. So we're also going to respond to uh, some comments on the website. We have two from David that are kind of just one comment, but split over two separate comments. And then we have one from regular correspondent St. Clinton. So we're going to start with the ones from David since they came in first. So it starts off, Dita's coaches who called him was named Max. The actor was in the Doctor Who serial, The Green Death, as Dr. Jones, who became a love interest to Joe Grant. Huh. Did not notice that wow. at all. <laughs> the episode was borrowed from a Star Trek episode. I forgot the episode name, but it is the one where they're fighting a simulated war using computers and the people killed have to surrender themselves for death. And the Enterprise is destroyed and they try to trick Scotty into lowering the shield so they can destroy them for real. 
Death Watch, I believe, was a last-minute replacement for a script that didn't work out. I should mention that these comments were made on episode 38, which is the episode on the one where we meet Dita Tarrant, which is Death Watch. So these two comments are in reference to Death Watch. Just wanted to point that out. Also, I forgot to say that Blake 7 did holodecks first. Take that, Star Trek. And the reason Dell and Dita didn't meet each other is due to time and money. It is an expensive and time-consuming exercise to do split-screen shots. Everything filmed that day had to be in the can by 10 p.m. The sets would be built in the studio overnight. The actors would come in in the morning and rehearse throughout the day. Film in the evening, usually between 8.30 and 10 p.m. Then those sets would be taken down and put into storage, and sets for the next day's filming would be erected. Filming of a show like Blake 7 would take three days to shoot in the studio, with location filming having been done several weeks beforehand. There's an excellent documentary about this on YouTube where the viewer is taken through what happens at the BBC over 24 hours. I think it's also an extra on one of the classic Doctor Who DVD releases. Yeah, that's actually a good point. I know yeah, in that, that episode I was on. questioning, like, why didn't Dell meet Dita? But that makes sense from but a budgetary st- But still, standpoint. they could have just done, like, close-up, close shots on his face. And had and Dita had, from behind. It would have been lame as hell, but, like... Dell from behind exactly. and just have another actor in a wig. Yeah, I think could have stupid, done that. But I would have preferred it. Me too. I think I would have preferred that too, actually. So no excuses. No, no. I mean, no. Thanks for pointing that out, though. Thanks for pointing that out. And it was interesting to read how you know how they erected the sets overnight, recorded, and then took them all down. Yeah, and erected them again. That makes sense. Actually, I know that Series A they filmed roughly in order, but by the time they get to Series D, they're filming a lot of the episodes like. All of the scenes in the episodes out of order just for time constraints because I guess they got better at planning out how to film <laughs> what where. So I don't actually know what Star Trek episode you're referring to. I'll put it in the notes for this episode. Because I have not actually watched all of the original series of Star Trek. Wow. I know, fake fan. Wow. No, Shake I mean, my head, I fake fan. I haven't watched anything from Star Trek. Maybe we should do a Star Trek podcast. Uh, but not like the whole thing, just like just an original series podcast maybe. I don't know. It's I think not it, British. No, but I think it could be interesting because could, we could compare it to th- things like Doctor Who and Blake 7 that came out around the same time across uh, the pond. Uh, the pond? Just watch some Star Trek and see if you like the it. The pond? We have, like a, pond. We, we have like a whole list of like shows that we could do a podcast on. It's Space 1999, Star Cops. Space 1999, isn't that American as well? It's like a co-production. It has American actors, but it's it's mostly British. Uh, well, thank you for the comment, uh, David. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> we always appreciate feedback. And then finally from St. Clinton. Well, you have come to the season that I both love and hate. Yes, it is possible to do both. <laughs> After thinking over it through all the years and learning what Gisette Simon had to say about her feelings about Dana, I understand her feelings. It's a shame that there was a long period of time between the seasons and that the writers had no love for the character of Dana. As you watch the season, you'll well understand. But what I do love about the season is the way that the series ended. Yes, the previous season did have a good ending, but I think that the series ended in a way that was great, that was better for those who like to write fan fiction. It was also written in a great way for future seasons, but the BBC had chosen to do another with people coming back. Have you noticed that none of the crew ever asked Orak to make a prediction after the one time at the beginning of it with them? No. No, and I just remember that that was like Orak's entire point was that he was supposed to be able to like predict things and then like he predicted that the Liberator was going to blow up. Well, they did a very good job of like obscuring that. that. Wow. (laughs) Great. Now I'm going to mention that every time Orak comes up. 
blast. Thanks for pointing that out, St. <laughs> Clinton. When she appeared on screen for the start of the final season, did you recognize Glynis Barber from a previous episode of Blake 7? No. I think it was the th- like the third time that I saw the episode that she was in when the credits rolled that I realized that she had been in the show before, but not a Sulin. I was really saddened about the loss of Jacqueline, Jacqueline Pierce, as I think she played the role p- perfectly. I wouldn't be surprised to find out that her death was reported in more places than Gareth's death. I do have a question for you both, but I don't want you to answer it until your post-series finale show is which character of all the seasons of the show do you relate to the most and why this doesn't have to be the main a main character as it could be one that was in an episode for five minutes keep up the great work on the greatest blake seven podcast around well thank you for the praise yeah first thanks off. Yeah, for sure and, and i can't like i can't believe we never noticed that about orac like that's that's crazy i know i <laughs> <laughs> Well, now I'm never going to forget it. Yeah. Because um, now it's going to bug me every time Orax shows up. <laughs> Damn it. Remember when Orax's original purpose was to make predictions for things? Uh, you should have told us this once we finished the show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. And I think you've asked a really good question that we'll definitely put in our, our... The back of our minds. Back of our minds for the end of the show. Yeah, which also, that question actually uh, poses... An interesting uh, meta question that I think we need to decide on is that if we're going to make, you know, we, we plan to do the way forward after we finish uh, bl- the series D. Uh-huh. But then I think the question is, do we do a specific like finale episode of Zenith or do we just put that into the episode with the way forward, I guess? And I guess that's something we have to actually decide now that we're actually coming to that point like in a couple months. Yeah, yeah. And I think there are pros and cons to both that we're going to have to discuss off recording and, I don't know, rest assured we'll come to a consensus like before we get there. And by before we get there, I mean like two weeks before we get there because we like to procrastinate a lot on this show. <laughs> but definitely thank you for reaching out again, St. Clinton. Yeah, Always thanks. a pleasure to hear from our listeners, you know, all of our listeners, uh, all our regular correspondents, RG and St. Clinton. And I just want to double check if we had an email from Sergeant Drano about... Uh, this he did email us about terminal which i believe we responded to last week yeah no i don't think we got one from him no i don't believe so but don't worry sergeant trader will be back cryptically no, he's coming back i'm cryptically <laughs> referencing the fact that like series d is greatest hits of zenith we're just getting <laughs> everybody back on the show we do have a lot of crossovers Plan, either planned well, or like going to be planned. we've got we have two planned for sure. We have two more that are in the works. Right. And we've had one already. So right. an exciting time, I think. Yeah. And with that, I think that closes the book on power. If you'd like to email us, we just have the doctordecorativevegetable.com. Questions, comments, concerns, angry rants. Tell us what the hell power is referring to in this episode. Tell us what's the deep hidden meaning yeah, what's behind the deep power. Hidden meaning. You can find us on YouTube at Decorative Vegetable. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Google Play at Zenith, a Blake 7 podcast. Be sure to leave a rating if you like the show. And be sure to tell your friends we're coming rapidly to the end of the podcast. Which is something I've never had to say before. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa. Check us out on Facebook. Trust your doctor. Like us on Facebook. Also check us out on Twitter at TYD Podcast. And follow us on Twitter. And next time we're watching Traitor. But until then, the end. The end.